Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to Prospect Magazine's podcast, Headspace, we bring together writers and experts pushing the question, what's the big idea? I'm Tom Clark, and this week we look at the bubbling tension in Parliament over Brexit. The House of Lords has already made clear it's going to give the legislation a rough ride. Is it right to do so? And how rough might things get? There are informal agreements between the two front benches, but they are absolutely not binding on mavericks like me. With me this week are Sir John Kerr, the crossbench peer and former diplomat who actually crafted the famed Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, and also Victoria Hewson of the Institute for Economic Affairs, who specialises in trade. And with us as well is Alex Dean, who's Prospect's own political correspondent. And um, Alex, I think it might be most useful for the uninitiated uh, listeners, if there are any of them out there, um, who um, will want to sort of recap on where things are at in Parliament. There's been so many twists and turns in this uh, adventure over the last several months or getting on for a year now. Um, what have the recent crunch points been? Sure, yeah. So it's kind of a good old fashioned parliamentary showdown that's happening at the moment and it's going to be happening over the next few months. Um, it's a real, it's a complicated thing of kind of legislative spaghetti and I'm sure John and Victoria will correct me if I get any of this wrong but my understanding of it is there's the government has got the EU withdrawal bill um the lords have defeated the government several times in recent days uh this week and last week um on kind of varying aspects of it one of those is the uh EU charter of fundamental rights um sounds like a biggie it definitely is a biggie um it was David Panic who's a very respected kind of senior lawyer um, who tabled that amendment and, and that was carried successfully. Um, so that's a, one government defeat. Another has been on the customs union, um, which is kind of a central Brexit issue along with the single market, absolutely at the, at the centre of this debate. Um, and what's going to be very interesting is when this stuff moves to the Commons. Um, there's a symbolic vote on the customs union in the Commons tomorrow. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens there. And the Tory rebels will maybe start to get a feeling of whether they've got the numbers to really push the government on that. Um, and one thing's for sure, we're in for a real sort of old-fashioned parliamentary parliamentary scrap. Um, and I'd be fascinated to hear what, what John and Victoria think about all that and where it's going to go and what's going to happen. Can we bring you in first, John, just as one of the uh, members of the House of Lords who's been doing the scrapping? <laughs> yeah, well, the Customs Union Amendment, I was my amendment and carried by a very large majority. But the, the important thing to, to get across is that the Lords are not going to block this bill. The Lords are trying to improve this bill, 
But everybody recognises that if we leave the European Union, we have to have a working statute book. That means transferring from EU law uh, onto the UK statute book, such as the EU law as currently governs the country. So we can't have a void if we leave in March next year. So we are going to pass this bill. Uh, what the Lords are trying to do is improve the bill uh, in a number of respects, some of which have to do with relations with the European Union, others of which have nothing to do with relations with the European Union, but have a lot to do with relations between the executive and the legislature, or the executive and the devolved administrations. And that's why this is such a very long run in the Lords. We've had 13 full days in uh, second reading and committee stage, and we're uh, today we're doing our uh, third day of... Uh, uh, report stage, we're doing six days of report stage, and we'll have a third reading and send it back to the Commons on the 16th of May. And are you collectively in charge of your own timetable, or is there the equivalent of what in the Commons, you know, this guillotine where the government can basically just say, that's enough chaps, shut up and have your vote and, and we'll have it back now? No, there's no such timetabling done in the Lords. There are informal agreements between the two front benches, but they are absolutely not binding on mavericks like me. Uh, I'm an independent crossbencher, and uh, the, the House is very independent of the front benches. So, deals so it could go on for a long time. It, it takes Legislation takes three or four times as long in the Lords as in the Commons, and 95% of Lords' amendments to Commons bills are uh, accepted by the Commons. Some are declared politically unacceptable. Most are seen as technical improvements, which didn't get made in the Commons where, you know, black is uh, the whip's rule and there's a, a built-in majority usually, and therefore uh, if, if the whips say black is white, uh, the, par the party vote will go for black is white. <laughs> that doesn't happen in the Lord, so there is no built-in majority for the government. There is a... a, a, a uh, there is a, a third force in addition to the, the two great political parties and the Lib Dems, a fourth force. There's a, these uh, independent uh, peers who are on this bill very, very active. Lots mm. of ex-law lords, lots of uh, legal grandees like David Panic, and um, lots of ex-mandarins ex, uh, like me. Mm. So, John, am I right in thinking that some of these votes on the withdrawal bill in the Lords have been some of the biggest votes ever in the Lords? I think the 348 on the, the customs union was the largest vote against the government ever in the Lords, yes. Victoria, let's focus on that one for a minute. You're a trade expert. I think you backed Brexit. Um, do you think that the Lords might be right? There might be a flavour of Brexit that doesn't involve leaving the customs union. Oh, absolutely not. There's, there's no way to do Brexit properly, effectively and beneficially without leaving the customs union. In fact, if you talk about, I know it's uh, it's become a slightly tired, wonkish debate around the difference between our customs union and the customs union, but the customs union is a creation of the treaties. If you leave um, the, the, the treaties of the European Union, you would leave the customs union. The debate really is, do we try and establish some kind of replacement customs union arrangement, which, um, you know, I I think is a is a pretty terrible idea and is f fairly transparently an effort by the um, the the rearguard Remainer um, action to keep us as close as possible to the EU and really make it easier just to eventually get back get back in um, in in some form in due course. If the Commons, which we know has got a lot of kind of slightly um, dis gruntled Remainers on the Conservative side as well. 
was emboldened by the Lords to say, we're sticking in, I don't have to say, A, or the Customs Union. What's your understanding of the effect? Would it would it be the first of those two things where you're um, sticking in the Customs Union and therefore, in in your terms, sticking within the treaties, or would it be negotiating some new one? So as it stands at the moment, with the way the Article 50 process works, we will not be staying within the treaties. We will not be members of the European Union. The, the, the Treaty on European Union and the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union will no longer apply to us. So the Customs Union will, will cease to have effect for for the United Kingdom. We will not be part of it. As I understand it, the um, amendment put forward and um, that was accepted in the in the House of Lords last week is um, it's it's it doesn't compel it, in fact it's not possible to compel um, the UK and the EU to agree a new customs union. There are two sides to the negotiation. Even mm. if we wanted to create a new customs union, that would be a matter for negotiation. So the effect of the amendment really is simply to tie the Prime Minister's hands behind her back in the negotiations by making it um, very difficult for her to negotiate um, a clear position. I, th- I think yeah, Victoria touched on something really important there just in the start of her remarks, which is it's absolutely right that we we can't stay in the customs union. Uh, and it's kind of a misconception swirling around uh, remain as leavers um, on all sides. Um, it's a legal fact that we have to leave the customs union. Uh, the question is whether we decide to replicate it in the form of a customs union mm. or some other kind of customs partnership or, or all these terms swirling around at the moment. Um Something I'd, I'd really hope that we talk about at some point today is the Irish border and, and where the customs union fits into all that. And I'd be, I'd be very interested to hear the opinions of both Sir John and Victoria on... We've raised it, so let's do it now. Uh, let's do it now. Um, uh, so I guess if we, if we, if we turn to Sir John first, um, it's really, I think, surprising. It surprised me anyway that the, the Irish border has become this kind of anvil on which the whole <laughs> Brexit question is now being formed. Um, do you think it was predictable from the start? Um, and is is a customs union necessary and sufficient to avoid a hard border? Uh, uh, there are lots of arguments for a customs union, uh, and I hope we can come back to them, because I made my case, and the House Lord supported by a majority of 123, not principally about Ireland. But it is the case, I think, that it will be impossible to avoid a hard border if the border across the middle of Ireland is the customs frontier of the European Union, uh, they will be required to uh, man a hard border, whatever we say and whatever the Irish say. The Irish will be in that situation. I remember when the Poles wanted a soft border with the very similar province of Ukraine, the Galician province of, of northeast Ukraine, uh, which is ethnically, religiously, socially, economically uh, as good as part of Poland. And the answer they got very firmly was, no, when you are manning the external frontier of the European Union, you have to man a proper frontier. And that is, that is what will happen. I don't think a customs union is a sufficient uh, means of avoiding a hard border. I think there would need to be... a at least in, in Ireland, a degree of regulatory alignment, particularly in the agriculture sector. 
But I think it is without a, a, a customs union, it is not possible to envisage avoiding a hard border, which everybody wants to avoid. And that is a, an argument for, for customs union, quite a strong one, but not the only one. Victoria, I mean, uh, I'm guessing at the IEA you're very much in favour as a general principle of uh, free trade. Um, and you're nodding at that. But do you accept what John says that, like, without a customs union, as far as the two halves of the island of Ireland are concerned, there might be something in the way of free trade. And does that t- trouble you? No, not at all. And and actually, I would suggest that staying in a customs union is neither necessary nor sufficient for resolving the, um, the, the, the issues around the Irish border. A customs border, strictly, is about administering the imposition and collection of import duties. Now, clearly, a free trade agreement alone will eliminate import duties, tariffs on goods crossing the border. Mm-hmm. But the, the key difference between a customs union and a free trade agreement is you do still have to comply with border formalities and complete customs declarations, even if it's just to evidence that you qualify for a zero tariff preference. So it's really an administration and enforcement process in order to ensure that people are correctly declaring their goods in order to claim a preference. Now, the Irish Revenue Commissioners and our equivalent authority, HMRC, have already stated that they are perfectly satisfied that that can all be done without having physical infrastructure at the border in Ireland. This was um, a statement by John Thompson, head of HMRC, uh, in a parliamentary committee, and it was also the statements last summer by the Irish Revenue Commissioners. And that's very much in line with how customs borders operate. How about, though, um, America? There's an external tariff on American goods coming into the EU you know, say we succeeded in getting a free trade deal with the United States somewhere down the line that would face a tariff on going into the Republic of Ireland. Why doesn't your American corporation just ship it into Belfast and then then drive it down the road into Dublin to avoid the tariff? Well, this is why you have the... the border compliance and administration and enforcement is to prevent that from happening. Interestingly... um, you know, we already have processes as part of the EU Customs Union under the Union Customs Code that enable imports from all around the world where we don't even have free trade agreements like the US, like China, to come into our ports and be removed from the border without any physical checks at all. 96% of goods coming into the UK from outside the Customs Union are not stopped and checked at the border. And mm. such checks that are done are done on an intelligence-led risk assessed basis excuse me and for goods coming into Ireland it's even less than that it's about one percent and that's because they have very sophisticated ways of um, following through on compliance away from the border at business premises and without actually impeding the flow of trade at the border. Would you accept I mean irrespective of whether or not there are some technical fixes I know a lot of people are skeptical of that and, and other people think there might be somewhere down the line the government, I would say, just tonally has tended to sound less confident about this over time. Do you think that's fair? I think that is that is fair. And it's 
been significantly held back by what was agreed in the joint declaration on sufficient progress before Christmas, which has proved uh, to be a bit of an elephant trap on on this. Um, And this was the point where Theresa May had her big triumph because the talks were able to progress to the next phase, but she kind of promised there'd be a border between Europe and Britain and there'd be a border between... um, There'd be no border, though, between either Britain and Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, or Southern Ireland and Europe. And and, and there's there's a certain... doesn't stack up in that, I think, isn't there? Well, there will be a border between the Republic of Ireland and the Great Britain mainland and Northern Ireland. The challenge, and I think this is a totally achievable challenge, is to make that border as frictionless and low impact as possible. I'm fairly confident that it can be done without physical infrastructure and interventions at the border. There are already um, border controls between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland because there are lots of differences between the two jurisdictions for things like VAT, for excise duty. And that's all monitored and enforced by customs officials on both sides of the land border by um, ad hoc checks and enforcement. And that's been the case, um, you know, for for as long as, as, as Northern Ireland has existed. How long, how, how long have we got till all this has to be sorted? Is it really March next year, John? Or is is this the kind of stuff we can just be haggling about in the, in the transition period, which we know is going to be at least 20 months after that now? No, no, this is definitely by March because it, it isn't linked into the withdrawal agreement. I mean, Victoria is quite right. The uh, the fudge formula on Ireland uh, agreed in the December European Council uh, means that the money deal, the citizens' rights deal and the Ireland deal are all bound together in the withdrawal agreement. We have failed to detach them. We have negotiated them in a rather curious order, in my view, but we are now stuck with the consequences of that. And the fallback text that uh, was agreed in December is, in my view, a very unfortunate text. Uh, uh, But it does mean that this issue has to be solved, not by March, but by October, because it is October is the deadline for getting a deal which can be put to uh, our parliament and uh, the European parliament. And uh, that most most cans get kicked down the road in, in, in Brussels negotiation. But that one can't be kicked very far. It might be kicked into November, but no further. So this is a this is a twenty eighteen problem. So so John, what do you think of the chances of, of a collapse in talks? Could could negotiations still break down? Yes, they could. Uh, and this is the issue in which I think if they were to break down, it would be on this. Well, no, I, I think that's unlikely, actually. I think that, that uh, there will be a deal. And I think that the logical deal is for the British to say that they would like to have a customs uh, union with the, uh, the EU. And it's my prediction that's what's going to happen. So that because that's an interesting I've wondered, um, Sir John, whether you think Remainers are now best putting their eggs in the soft Brexit basket rather than going for out-and-out revocation of Article 50? Absolutely not. I mean, uh, uh, Victoria makes a lot of very good points, but the one that isn't fair is the accusation that people like me who believe that leaving the European Union would be a very bad mistake and don't believe that the die is irrevocably cast 
are playing games with this bill in order to increase the chances of us not leaving the European Union. If we left the European Union with no customs uh, uh, union with it, the damage to the UK economy would be much greater, as the letter yesterday in the Times from the CBI and the TUC said. Uh, uh, British manufacturing industry, British exporting industry, uh, the City of London, everybody uh, except those ideologically against the idea believes that uh, a customs arrangement, a sort of customs union, I don't know what its terms would be, and we and the Lords of Victoria said didn't try to lay down what they would be. We merely said that it would be a good idea to negotiate and see what could be achieved. I, uh, everybody agrees that uh, uh, customs union is actually necessary to limit the damage from leaving the European Union. If I was a irresponsible uh, Remainer, I would not be trying to make the damage of leaving less. I would be playing for the hardest possible Brexit in the hope that the country mm. would, would pull back and reject it. Uh, but I, that would be irresponsible. And what the House of Lords is trying to do with this bill now is to try to reduce the damage both to our constitution and to our, our economy of leaving the opinion. So if we accept that, that all this is in good faith, um, nonetheless... There's something unusual about it procedurally, isn't there? And as a lawyer and draftsman, you you, you know this much better than than most. That like both with this issue of the customs union, and potentially down the road with this um, famous meaningful vote, where if um, the pro Remain forces have their way, you know, the effect of a meaningful voting down of the government's inadequate deal would be staying in the EU while, while um, ministers are packed off to Brussels to, to try and get a better deal. Um, but both of these are slightly strange things. You can pass a law for anything you like, but passing a law about, you know, a government has to go off and try and negotiate something when you've got no control over what happens to the other party, that's, that's a bit odd somehow, isn't it? Well, we're certainly not doing out of customs union. We're not saying what sort of customs union. We're not saying that you have to do this because, as Victoria said, there are two parties in negotiation. It could be the EU would say no thanks. I don't think that's the case, but it could be. That is true throughout. The Meaningful Vote Amendment, which we will be doing next week, next Monday, the, uh, the Meaningful Vote Amendment merely lays down a timetable by, of dates by which the government have to uh, come to the Parliament for a meaningful vote on the deal. It, it's, it, uh, it doesn't say what options the government must be uh, putting forward. The, the underlying issue is that what the government have told us they intend to do is to invite Parliament to approve their deal or settle for leaving with no deal. Or fall it's, off the cliff. It's Hobson's choice. It's 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 this deal or no deal. You can't change it. That is the government's position. Um, in the House of Lords, that is not widely accepted as the full range of options. Uh, one option would be to leave with no deal, a sort of re-smog option. One would be to leave with the government's deal. One would be to uh, suggest to the government that this deal was inadequate in a particular respect. Would they please go back and carry on negotiating? And another option would be to say, and uh, uh, this is the one obviously which I hope the uh, House of Commons will choose, will be to say, 
well, this is all very well, but it's not exactly what the country was told at the time of the 2016 referendum, when they were told they would have their cake and eat it. There's clearly a lot of downsides to this deal. The fair thing to do, surely, is to put it back to the people and see, have a people's poll on the outcome of the negotiation. Sure. That would require an extension of the yes. Article 50 period. In my view, uh, an extension in order to go on negotiating would be quite a difficult uh, ask, and you need everybody to agree over there on uh, uh, the terms of the of Article 50. On the other hand, to say we need an extension because we've decided we're going to have to have a, a, a referendum on this outcome, in my view, that would be a very easy ask. I don't see 27 democracies turning down a democracy to say it wants to be democratic. So that's the sort of diplomatic side of things, which Victoria is frowning at. And do comment on that as well, if you like, Victoria. But I think probably we're all agreed, and I seem to remember from past discussions with John, that he'd agreed too, that as much as anything else, the politics uh, of this are going to be shaped by what people are seeing in the economics, where there's been surprises, I'd say, for both the Remain and the Leave camps about how things have played out in the last two years. Yeah, I find it quite surprising this argument that um, this isn't this isn't what people voted for when you know the, the government leaflet said in you know I think in the exact words the government will implement the outcome of the referendum um, all of the treasury predictions that were made so much of um, were all predicated on leaving the customs union and the single market. So I find it quite odd to now argue that that's not what people were expecting. And really all of this um, prevaricating around different options and second or third referenda um, just makes the UK's negotiating position harder and harder as the EU is incentivized to run down the clock and um, really leverage the the nervousness that we have as we approach March 2019. And this idea that, um, you know, the, the customs union has somehow become essential to the economic survival of this country is, 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 is just so wide of the mark. Um, most of um, most trade is done on a very streamlined, effective basis. If we had, in fact, started to prepare for leaving the customs union when we should have done, um, i.e. straight after the referendum, mm. We would be in a in a much better place. Uh, that's widely acknowledged in the trade that we we would have had time to have um, everything prepared. I've got um, a paper that comes out today, actually, which I'll just quickly plug about um, uh, the some recommendations that HMRC should be implementing to improve the um, operations and processes around customs and um, trade facilitation. Now, the, the key thing that we've tried to do in this report, which we did with um, a group of experts called ACETA, which is a trade body in of customs professionals, was recognizing that there's still several scenarios in play, which you know I'm, I'm not particularly happy about, but recognizing that that is the situation. We've tailored these recommendations for things that will be helpful to UK trade um, whatever the outcome. These are things that UK governments should have been doing in terms of solutions and improvements that are available under the Union Customs Code and the, the, the VAT legislation. Okay, so there's, there's stuff they can do. Let me just change tactic and ask you, what do you think is going to happen? You can hear John talking about the kind of things people are thinking about 
in the Lords. Do you think we're going to leave with what some people call a clean Brexit and others call a terrifying Brexit in um, uh, whenever it is the end of 2019 after this transition period? Or do you think there's going to be some circling of the wagons that's going to um, mean that we effectively end up in the EU in all but name? I think we're going to end up with at the end of the transition period, um, although acknowledging there are several pitfalls even on the way to getting the, the transition period um, agreed, as, as John has said. Um, and then we will end up with a comprehensive free trade agreement, but done as the basis of two sovereign territories entering into an international agreement separate from the customs union, separate from the single market. Victoria, if we do end up uh, in the EU in all but name or Bino, I think people call it Brexit in name only. Um, do you think that would have a kind of corrosive effect on democracy? That people would feel that their vote hadn't been counted? I think it absolutely would, both in the sort of philosophical sense that you just um, referred to about why did we even bother voting, but also in, in a very real um, sort of operational sense that we would be rule takers. We would, if we stayed in the customs union, we would have, we would have taxes set. Import tariffs are tax it's an indirect tax our taxes would be set by a body where we had no vote and no say our if we stay in a in a single market arrangement our regulations would be set by bodies where we have no vote and no say at the negotiation table and i i just think that's completely at odds with even being in a democracy quite frankly john i imagine in a technical sense you might agree with that as someone who'd rather stay in the eu than be following the club rules without being part of the club um but i think i'm right in saying that you always thought the economics would be crucial here the pound was going down there was a squeeze on wages the most recent thing i've seen is that the pound is creeping back up <laughs> how how do you read like is there going to be a real brexit hit in the next few months that could change the change the realm i think of the victoria's criticism of of uh the Remainers campaign and uh, Osborne's punishment budget threat and all that stuff is completely valid criticism. I think that that, that, that too was misleading, just like the red battle bus on the other side was misleading. Mm. I think both sides were uh, running uh, campaigns which weren't uh, entirely right. Uh, I think that it was a mistake to think that the consequences of, uh, of Brexit, economic consequences, would be felt immediately. I mean, I don't know. Uh, there was no discussion of uh, the pace of negotiation and what negotiation would be. The impression was created that we would leave immediately after the referendum. And, mm. it, and it has taken a long time. The economic consequences have not, on the whole, been felt. There is a falling off in new inward investment. Uh, uh, and there has been very little disinvestment and the, the, you're quite right, the immediate uh, fall in the value of sterling has been corrected. I think there will be another fall coming, but you know, the, who knows, there are lots of other factors around. So I, I, I would say that uh, I probably, you may, you may remember things I said, I may have been guilty uh, of a bit of the Osborne era. Uh, I, that's perfectly possible. I, I, I'd like to just pick up, if I may, on what Victoria said about we would, at the end of the transition period, have a uh, classical free trade agreement with the European Union. Uh, and uh, I believe that at the end of the day, if we've left, we will have 
one, which will be tariff-free. There is The EU is proposing tariff-free, and we presumably are going to agree that. Uh, so I think that's perfectly possible. My worry is that there is absolutely no chance of securing that in the 21 months after we have left, which is mm. the full length of the transition period, and it will not be extended. And, and why not? Sorry, that's rather It important. will not be extended because uh, the Article 50... I'm very sorry, but you know, I did write it, and, and this is what it says. It's about withdrawal, and you cannot mm. stretch withdrawal over an indeterminate period. And the lawyers will tell you that there are other articles of the treaty which lay down the legal base for association agreements or free trade agreements or cooperation agreements. And if you are moving de facto to a regime of that kind, then you need to go to a different treaty base. Now, the treaty base for a free trade agreement between us and the European Union would be one which would require national ratification. The free trade agreement with the Canadians, which we've just done, very nearly came unstuck in the Parliament of Wallonia. It's not just national parliaments, it's subnational parliaments. It does depend what's in the free trade agreement. So even if we could negotiate it all in two years, which is completely unprecedented, but supposing we could, that you would then need another two years to allow all the EU member states to confirm that they agree it or call for changes. To be to fair, it. that does depend on what's in the free trade agreement. As we know from the Singapore free trade agreement, um, broadly, most aspects of trade are an exclusive competence of the EU, so don't necessarily need to go to member state by member state ratification. Um, arguably, CETA could have been done that way, but it was decided to take it to the member states for, for political reasons. If you're talking but about it, trade in goods, that's completely correct. And services. But, uh, it, in fact, is, everything except the, it investment. Is, it is not the case. Oh, uh, investment protection, remittance of property, intellectual property, No, cyber, intellectual property is an exclusive competence. It's all exclusive okay. competence. Including the, the sort of cooperation that I hope we're going to have in areas like security, defence, internal security, all that. It will be a mixed agreement, as sure as eggs is eggs. If it isn't a mixed agreement, it isn't worth having. Mixed I, agreements require national ratification. I, I, I know there's lots of things we're not going to agree on. I think listening to both of you um, and to Alex as well, one thing that, that we probably can agree on is that there is a ticking clock here and that what happens uh, will be quite fateful over the next few months. But we've got a ticking clock problem of our own here in the Prospect um, podcast <laughs> because uh, the old enemy is against us. So thanks for uh, listening to all of you at home and thanks to our guests, Victoria John and uh, Alex Dean as well. I'm Tom Clark. The producer was Jay Elwes. Um, and you can read much more about Brexit on our website, prospectmagazine.co.uk. And indeed, in the new issue of our printed magazine with an extended essay by our leading constitutional scholar, Vernon Bogdanor, on um, what Brexit will do prospectively to um, your rights. Please be sure to tune in again soon to the Prospect podcast. And thanks again for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.